How many of you noticed when you came in that our signs busted? Has anybody noticed that our signs, a couple of you noticed that our signs busted? I'm going to tell you a story about that sign. And uh, yes, I know good scripture always begins with a good sign story. Um, we needed to change out the front coloring of that sign. And we contracted with a gentleman that it's a, he's a sole proprietorship. So he's rolling this business on his own. And we contracted him and paid half the funds. And he showed up like two days later to take all the fronts off. So he was quick getting them down to get them ready to make the change. And then we didn't hear from him. And we didn't hear from him. And I left a message here and I left a message there and we didn't hear back. And then we finally heard that he had had a heart attack. And so um, I, had, I had my staff take back all the evil things that they had been saying about him. Of course, I never would. You know that about me. Uh, souls for souls. But... Um, I, we, you know, we found out that he had a heart attack and I'm like, guys, it's going to take him a little time and it is what it is. So the fronts are down and we can see the lights, but I know title max in town. That's their style is where they don't have any fronts. You just see the lights. I'm like, nobody's going to care. Most people probably won't even know how you never even noticed. Let's just, okay. There's a few of us never even noticed. It's only been this way since December. So thanks for your attentiveness. I appreciate it. But uh, I'm like, most people won't even notice. You don't tend to look up there when you already attend here. It's, it's people that are driving by to visit that might go, what's going on there? So let's just be patient. Well, we were patient and we heard that he was recovering. And this week I saw him here in front of a neighboring business working on their sign. And I thought, now's the time to go have the conversation because we, contract, we contracted in December and we paid half the money up front and we haven't got the work done. And as I'm walking over there, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, don't worry about the sign. It's not your sign that's broken. He's broken. Be sensitive to him. So before I could get over and say, you know, I represent a group of people and we operate with integrity financially. And when we make a contract, before any of that, the Holy Spirit interrupts everything and says, he's broken. So I step over and I say, hey, bud, how you doing? What's going on? And when I started the conversation, the first thing that he did was he dropped his eyes and he dropped his head and he wouldn't keep eye contact with me. There was just complete shame. He was embarrassed that he hadn't got the, do the job done yet. Now, some of you, if you've got a strong work ethic, then you go, then get the job done. And you don't have to be embarrassed anymore, right? Let's get it done, and you can look somebody in the eye, and you've honored your contract. You've got a full arm's length deal and move forward. But it was so much deeper than that. And I said, hey, man, how are you recovering? How are you doing? And I thought that we would start talking about his heart. But I quickly realized that the heart attack that he had suffered had opened the door to a spirit of fear that he was battling as he started telling me about 14 years ago when his father was murdered. The heart attack had reopened this wound of the tragedy of the way that he had lost his dad. I'm a pastor. I care about people, but I'm a pastor that also cares about how the church presents itself and how we represent ourselves in our community. And I was concerned about the sign and the Lord's concerned about the man. And I dare say that's only one time that I even know more of the story than I typically go. No, because most people that we come in contact with are broken. Have you ever walked up to a vending machine and seen an out-of-order sign? Or at least you wish they would have had it after it took your money? 
Have you ever noticed they have the, when they're out of order, they have the ability to take the money, just not the ability to produce once they get it, right? You're like, well, how come that wasn't out of order? How come it, at least it didn't take the money? Why does that part work? Fine? Because taking is easy for everything, even machines, even people. It's always easy to take. It's not e- it, Listen, this guy was so broken that the thought of fixing that sign was more than he could deal with. So I got his personal number, not the work number. I said, listen, I'm not worried about the sign. Oh, the day will come that I'm concerned about the sign. But right now, I'm concerned about him. We need to get together and we need to pray so that you can be freed from whatever's hurting you, whatever's bothering you. Now, this kind of leads to the thought for my question to open up with today. And I realize it's kind of different starting a a message with this question. But why does Satan hate people so much? I mean, I really believe there's a real God and I believe there's a real adversary. Anybody else? I, I really believe there's a spiritual battle out there. And I'm like, why does Satan hate people so much? And you could start throwing out answers and I'm sure all of them would have a lot of truth to it. Well, God loves people so much. And if somebody's the subject of the love of God, Satan wants to come in and hinder that and infiltrate that and break that. He hates them so much because God loves them so much. And I wouldn't have a problem with that answer. But I think it's even more than that. I actually think it goes back to just his hate for God. Do you remember that when we first learn about Satan, it's in one of the prophetic books, we learn that his name wasn't Satan at all. And as a matter of fact, his name isn't Satan now. Satan's a title for the accuser. It's one of the jobs that he has. And he he is known as the accuser. He's known as the father of lies. He's known as all these things. But originally, his name was Lucifer. And he was a cherub. He was one of the archangels that helped lead the worship of God in heaven. And at some point, he decided that he wanted it. He wanted the praise. He wanted the glory. He wanted the throne. And he was banished from heaven. Have you ever been in a church that had a church split? Have you ever been in a family that had a family split? Think about it. Even God went through it. Because scripture says that this anointed cherub that rebelled named Lucifer took a third of the angels of heaven, a third of the inhabitants with him and was banished from that place. Now, where were they banished? Do you remember? Earth. Isn't that great? Where do we live? (laughs) Thanks, God. Seriously? You banish the fallen angels here and you decide to create man and where do you put us? Here. Great. Thanks. And then you tell us, be fruitful, multiply, spread throughout the earth. Let my glory fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. I mean, it's amazing that he put us right in the middle of this cosmic struggle, this spiritual battle where the forces of good uh, dismiss the, the rebel prince and those that followed him. But I think it's pretty interesting in the way that God created us when he put us here. Look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man, and actually if you look at one of the newer NIV translations, it says mankind, which is probably a better word to use because it wasn't just saying that God created men and he didn't create women. It was more about mankind. It was about humanity, okay? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and then it specifies male and female, he created them. So Ladies, if your husband drives you a little crazy with his quirkiness, you can't always understand what he's doing, let me remind you, he was created in the image of God. 
And some of those quirks are godlike characteristics that were given to him that you didn't get. Husbands, there's things about your wife that you don't understand. How many husbands, there's a couple of things about your wife that you don't understand? Four of you with the courage to lift your hand. God bless you guys. God bless you. The rest of you are much smarter than that, and I appreciate that. It, because the Lord's given your wife some things about him that he didn't give you. It says that mankind was created in his image. Men were, weren't created in his image. All of us, mankind was, male and female. One of the things I like to remind you about at Faith Chapel every once in a while is that in the original Hebrew, which was used for the Old Testament, and in the original Greek, which was used for the New Testament, there were no pronunciation marks. So we didn't get exclamation points, colons and semicolons, to know where the breaks were in the sentences. As a matter of fact, if you look at the original text, in my English class, I would have flunked because it would have been considered the longest run-on sentence ever. Anybody else struggle with run-on sentences when you were writing? I mean, these things just go forever, and there's no ending until the letter's over. So how would a writer emphasize something that they really felt they were supposed to emphasize if you don't have an exclamation point? Or you, don't, you can't use cap lock. How many of you remember cap lock? How do you emphasize something that way? It's interesting. In the original Greek, you'll see these little tricks where... Words will be written two or three times in a row. There's one passage in 2 Peter where the apostle says, add brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. It uses it that many times in a row, and we just read it, add to brotherly kindness, love. But the apostle was really emphasizing brotherly kindness. How come? Probably because people aren't kind. Can I get an amen? Okay. We have our first example of repeating emphasis in the first chapter of the Bible. God created mankind in his own image. And then he rewrote the exact same sentence. We switched it around so it made more sense in English and we reversed it. God created man in his own image. And in the literal, God created man in his own image. Says it twice. How come? Because the author wanted us to understand that people are created in the image of God. Let's be charismatics for a second. Say that with me. People are created in the image of God. Does that say that Christians are created in the image of God? Well, hopefully they are, but that's not what it says. It said people are. It didn't say Christ followers. It didn't say those that read the King James Version only. It didn't say all those that know how to worship out of the hymnal or all those that know how to worship Bethel style. It didn't specify. It said mankind, everyone is created in the image of God. Let me re read this one to you. It didn't say politically conservative, gender confident, non-drug-using, trustworthy, Midwestern, country-music-listening, patriotic Americans are created in the image of God. Even though if that's your stance, you are, but politically liberal, gender-confused, drug-addicted, non-trustworthy, I mean, we can't say anybody about like in the middle Midwest is that way. Let's put them on the East Coast. East Coast people who listen to rap music. 
and burn the flag weren't created in his image. We all were created in his image. God created mankind in his image. And I personally believe one of the reasons that the accuser hates us the way that he does is because the image of God is upon all of our lives. Every one of us. God spoke the universe into existence. He spoke and the stars were formed. He spoke and commanded waters and land to separate. And he said, let creatures be on the land and let fish be in the oceans. And he did all these amazing, beautiful things. But with man, he paused, he touched us, he breathed his spirit into us, and he made us in his own image. We're different. Listen, I, I'm, I'm sure you've not heard anything about this, so as I share this, I realize this will be a shock to you, but there was a gorilla that was shot in Cincinnati, Ohio at a zoo, and I'm sure none of you have heard about that, and I'm sure none of your friends have had an opinion about this. I, I know how none of them have. I can't even imagine for those that their whole life is about promoting conservatism with animals and letting people come into the zoo, and you've got a gorilla that you've had for years that you want to populate. I can't even imagine how they felt when they made the call that they made to put that gorilla down for the sake of the child. That had to, and they had to know the political uh, turmoil they were going to go through that. But as a person that believes that mankind is created in the image of God, I think that I need to be one of the people that sends them a letter and says, thank you for valuing humanity over a gorilla. And I'm not minimizing that a gorilla is important. I've heard people say, what mom wouldn't keep a better eye on, on their child? Isn't it fun that we can always dismiss things we don't like with a word of judgment? I was walking through the Orlando airport when Sophia was two years old. And the last thing that Beth said to me was, don't take your eyes off of her. And we're walking through the Orlando airport and I'm holding uh, Emma's hand and we're walking and we're just following Sophia wherever she went. She's like a little Patriot missile, just seeking out scuds wherever she could go. And as we're walking, Emma tripped over something and I turned to help Emma up and when I turned back around, Sophia was gone. And if you've been in Orlando Airport, you know they've got these little half walls everywhere with planners in them, and that little kid could not be found. And many of you have heard the story. I jumped up on top of one of those half walls like I used to jump back in college, and I began to scream for my daughter. And I began to scream a description of my daughter. I just knew somebody had grabbed her and was running to one of the, uh, one of the exits with my child. It was so loud, the entire place froze. And then here comes little Sophia from behind the wall. Black, blonde little hair. She looks up. She smiles. I jump down. I pick her up. And I fell apart. I didn't begin to weep. And some lady walks by. I'll never forget hearing her. Poor dad. Poor dad. You're not kidding. She's mine. She was made in my image. There's a resemblance, there's a connection, she's, she's priceless. 
And she got away that quick, and you know what? It could have been at a zoo, and she could have got through a fence that was too wide and found herself in a life-threatening situation. I mean, it, it happened. Anybody else lose your kid for a minute? Listen, the skibos are here. They have so many kids, they don't even know when they have them. <laughs> you know how many times we've texted this family? You left her again. <laughs> again. Doesn't mean they don't value her. She's the youngest. I mean, you don't really know. You don't really know. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal. Notice that, only. To steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, a thief doesn't really care how they get your stuff. They just want your stuff. Right? If they can just break into the house and get it quick while you're on vacation, hey, it's, it's speedy, that's nice. If they have to follow you around till they pick up your PIN number the next time that you're filling the gas, uh, the, the gas tank at the local quick trip, and then pickpocket you later and work it out a little bit over time without you noticing it for a while, they don't mind doing that either. The ultimate goal is to steal, they just want it. We have an enemy that wants to steal our destiny, steal our purpose, steal our identity, steal our confidence. He longs to do that. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. And he doesn't matter. He doesn't mind how he does it. And I would dare say one of the ways that he does it in our culture is that he partners with brokenness so that brokenness looks normal. And we no longer minister to people that are broken, but we accept people that are broken without giving them an opportunity for change or an opportunity for hope. Here's just a thought that I have. Two of the best ways to keep people in their brokenness is to influence a culture to celebrate brokenness as either heroic or as completely normal. I'm going to go into an area of discussion that I'm just going to ask you to listen for just a little while and just process that with this with me for a moment. As long as we're mentioning some things that nobody's heard about, I'm sure none of you have heard that Target has a transgender bathroom policy. Um, is that, how many of you haven't heard this? Isn't it amazing how it sweeps? We all heard it. And isn't it amazing the responses that you get? I've, I've seen people that I respect that love the Lord that have said, some guy walks into the bathroom when my kid's in there, they're not walking out alive. I'm like, wow, praise Jesus for that. That's, that's a dynamic response to someone that's broken. Now, I'm going to refer, rather than Scripture, and I know I should refer to Scripture, it is church, but how many of you saw the movie Kindergarten Cop? How many, saw, how many saw the movie again? Um, how many will let me be PG-13 for just a moment at Faith Chapel? My wife's already just falling apart. She knows where this is going. But Arnold Schwarzenegger walks into the, he's undercover, and he walks into the kindergarten classroom where he's going to be working his undercover operation to bust the bad guy. And this little five-year-old boy, this was from Hollywood, so you know I shouldn't quote anything from Hollywood. But I'll be 47 next week, so my time's almost passed. He raises his hand, this little boy, and, and Arnold looks at him. He goes, yes, Tommy. And Tommy goes, boys have a penis. Girls have a vagina. How many are just stunned right now? I'm just loving it, and I'm owning it. I'm loving this moment. 
Now, I've thought about that lots of times with the transgender conflict. That there was a time even Hollywood knew what gender identity was. And I'm not here to throw stones at someone that's confused about their identity. I am here to say to the church, we have a culture of people that are confused, that are off target, that are isolated, that are broken, and things that seem so easy to understand, they're just not understandable anymore. God's word, it's almost like God's word's true in Romans 1 when it says the day will come when people will worship created things rather than the creator, that, that they'll choose to partner with the same sex rather than the opposite sex. You ready for this? That they'll partner with the wrong and call it right. Yep. Does anybody see any evidence of that at all? And the answer isn't for us to get inside, and believe me, this building's too small. To get inside here, pastor to stand up on a platform that only has one step, and to throw stones at sinners. You guys are so off target. You don't even know who you are. You're a mess. You're miserable. Do you realize that brokenness doesn't need condemnation? Brokenness needs healing. The sign guy doesn't need the pastor to be mad about the contract. The sign guy needs deliverance from a spirit of fear because of what moved into his life when his dad was murdered. His dad was murdered. I lost my dad in February of last year, but I can't imagine the emotions of your father being murdered and how the enemy has used that in his life to mess him up. And that's just one story. How many know everybody has a story? Can I go there? How many of you have a story of brokenness that needs restoration and needs healing? Isaiah chapter 42 talks about this, believe it or not. It talks about a day when people would almost be confused by the real ministry of Jesus to broken people. There's all these uh, prophecies about Christ that one of these days he will bring judgment. And one of these days he's going to do this and he's going to have a sword from his mouth and all of these things. But in this beautiful passage in Isaiah, it's not talking about judgment, it's talking about justice. It's not talking about judgment, it's talking about mercy. And it says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He'll bring justice to the nations. He'll not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Look at this verse, a bruised reed Another translation for that would be a bent reed. A bruised reed he'll not break, and a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. He'll not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. We'll leave that verse up there for just a moment. This was written 500 years before Jesus came, and they still didn't understand it. How many of you ever seen a reed when it's kind of weighted and bent over and it looks like the wind's been blowing in a certain direction for a while and then it, maybe it gets rain and the water's on it and it looks like if you just touch it a little too hard, it would snap. Have you ever seen that before? Experienced that? That's what's being communicated here. That a bruised reed, he's not going to break it. What kind of people are we in Christ Jesus? 
There are people that we walk by every day that are bent over. They are bent from brokenness. They're bent from addiction. They're bent from confusion. They're frustrated. Do you realize, according to statistics, that over 90% of our country is paycheck to paycheck? They're struggling with the stress of finance. Kids are making decisions that they don't know how to handle. We say, well, you need a good traditional family. The traditional family's been blown up in our culture for so long, we can't make that statement and assume people even know what it means anymore. And then maybe they have the courage to talk to a Christian. Maybe they have the courage to walk into a house of worship and they're bent over and if we're not careful, our very message will break them. Rather than giving them, Jesus didn't break a bent over reed. If somebody barely had the strength to get out of bed, he didn't snuff out the wick. He saw the little bit that was there and that was made in his image and he began to call it out of them. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. Look in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Matthew Thompson, thank you for joining us today. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you kind of feel the judgment in the question? Can you feel it? By the way, sinner means somebody that's missing the mark. The Greek word for sin literally just means to miss the mark. So yes, these people were off target. I'm not even going to argue about that. Uh, Some of them were tax collectors, which at the time were basically legalized thieves, completely different than the tax system today. Can I get an amen? Okay. So legalized thieves. Who's Jesus eating with? Legalized thieves and sinners. Now, by the way, if you dig into the original, you'll find that sinners here is referring specifically to a couple of groups of people that the Pharisees couldn't stand. You want to know who they were? Drunkards and prostitutes. Now, this kind of blows my Christian upbringing a little bit. I was told verses like this. God's word says, come out and be ye. What am I going to say? Separate. Come out and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. You emphasize the S and spit. Saith the Lord of hosts, right? Being separate doesn't mean that we don't spend time with them. Jesus was condemned not for keeping tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes out of the synagogue. He was condemned because when he left the synagogue, he went and ate with the tax collectors, the drunkards, and the prostitutes. I'm going to, this heavy revy, I know it's going to shock you. Do you know who a prostitute is? She's somebody's daughter. She's somebody's daughter. She's somebody's broken daughter that somehow made decisions that this is where she's living her life now, but she still has the image of God that needs to be called out of her. She she still has that image. She's a sheep. I mean, as a matter of fact, in response to this, in another text, Jesus began to tell them a story and said, let me tell you a story. There was this guy that had 100 sheep, and one of them got away. 
And he left the 99 to go find the one that was missing. And it was in direct reference to tax collectors, drunkards, and prostitutes. It's amazing. He said, they're my sheep. They might not be my children yet. They haven't received the adoption of sonship yet. They haven't confessed me as king yet, but I put my image in them. They are a sheep of this flock, and we need to risk everything to bring them home. What's a prostitute to you? A whore? Somebody you don't want to spend time with? Or possibly a daughter that's astray, that's bound, that's broken, that needs the message and the love that you have that can liberate them from the captivity that they're in. Come on. Pastor Brad, can I drink alcohol and be a Christian? You bet you can. You bet you can. Jesus spent time with drunkards. Yeah, you can drink alcohol and be a Christian, but you know what? Jesus didn't spend time with the drunkards so that he could have acceptance for what he drank with them. He spent time with the drunkards to give them deliverance and freedom from what held them captive. I mean, look at the next verse, and we'll wrap up with this. On hearing this, on hearing that they were saying, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Look at his response. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What, is, what, does that, what does that show me? There's something that's inferred there. That shows me that Jesus wasn't eating with them for acceptance. He wasn't having a meal with them so he could feel better about himself or so that he could vent about the craziness of the people at the synagogue. That tells me He saw them as someone that needed exactly what he had. He is the great physician. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He saw people that needed deliverance, and that's why he was spending time with them. It's almost like Jesus was missional. I asked you guys last week after Pastor Noel spoke. Christopher, you missed it. Noel from Ireland spoke here last week. And I asked everybody, how many of you are ready to go to Ireland on our missions trip next year? Almost every hand went up. But let me ask you this. How many of us are ready to go on our missions trip this week? Right here. In our office. At Shop and Save. The more you shop, our Aldi's, our Snooks. They're not allowed to be the friendliest stores in town anymore because it was proven that they're not. Are we ready to go on point now, on mission now, right here? There's something about going on a missions trip. You put on the mission hat, and you're like, I'm going to do this for the king of kings. God, use every conversation. Use every moment. Give me divine appointments, and use me to bring the broken home until I get home. And then I'll do it again next year. And I'll just get him to church, and maybe Pastor Brad will have a halfway decent message that day. And that'll be my mission. Our mission's not to get them to church. Our mission's to invest and pour and spend time with them and reveal the healing presence of Jesus in every moment so that they can be liberated. I'm going to wrap up with this thought. Jesus was willing to say they were sick. 
Because if you don't admit that they're sick, you're never going to step out to give them healing. Church, we've got to be willing to call brokenness brokenness. Because if we don't, we won't give the healing people need. I read definitions of transgender to be prepared for this message. I just thought they were interesting. Some of the definitions that it's impossible to be stereotypical, uh, put into the stereotypical definition of the gender of male and female. Like stereotypical, really? I mean, anybody else, when you had a child, the doctor said, it's a boy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And yet, in a culture of brokenness, it's not. It's not obvious. And it blows my mind. But the answer isn't for me to be dogmatic about my proper theology. The answer is for me is to carry the deliverer everywhere I go and to see people set free just like Jesus did. And to do that, I'm going to go there. Are you ready? This is shocking. To be caught in, being, to be caught in, in claiming to be transgender, that's broken. It's broken. But we can give healing. To be caught in prostitution, that's broken, but we can give healing. To be caught in any addiction is broken, we can give healing. To be caught in fear and anxiousness. There is an epidemic of people in our culture now that have the fear of, the, the anxiousness comes over them and they have an anxiousness about being in public. It is amazing the statistics that you, have you heard about a panic attack? I never heard of a panic attack growing up. Maybe people had them. But I hear all the time, I'm having a panic attack. I can't even go through the store. My goodness, have we so let the spirit of fear move in on our culture that we can't even shop anymore? We can't even walk out of the house? We've got to break that stuff. I'm not condemning. God's word says the righteous are as bold as a lion. My goodness, the presence of Jesus lives in me. I don't have to be afraid. The presence of Jesus lives in me. I don't have to be addicted. The presence of Jesus lives in me. I don't have to give in to anxiousness. Church, I'm telling you, we can walk in our freedom and we can help other people find freedom because you carry it. I quoted it earlier and I'm going to close with it. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is everywhere the Lord is, and he's everywhere. And freedom is everywhere you go because he lives in you. And when you walk in a room, you bring freedom. When you walk in a room, you bring the spirit. When you walk in a room, you bring hope. I love that Jesus was willing to say, hey, they're sick. That doesn't scare me because I've got everything they need for their freedom. Come on, let's stand together. Let's stand together. I'm going to bless you guys. I know we went a little bit long. We had a lot on the agenda with this second service. And it's such an honor to have you here. And I hope this has come out with the spirit intended. Because I want you to know, if you're connected to broken people, okay, 
I am the guy that would love to sit down and have dinner with you and them. I love it. Because we are here to give freedom. And you don't argue somebody into freedom. You just talk about the beauty of the king and the beauty of what the king brings. And he brings freedom. Remember the story of the demoniac that was delivered? After he was delivered, he had his clothes on. Remember that? I think it's pretty interesting that when you meet Jesus, he starts to tell you things that are important. Guy meets Jesus, he's like, you know what, I need to put on some undies. When he was demon-possessed, living in the tombs, he was naked. But he meets Jesus, he's like, I think I want a cover. Anybody else, you, you appreciate a good cover? Anybody else this time of year, some of the stuff you see walking out there, you think, oh, dear God, they need a cover. Anybody else there? I'm like, oh, Lord, give them cover and wisdom, Father, right? Okay? So I love that when he comes in, we don't have to say, hey, cover. He helps us learn how to do that. We learn things that we should say or shouldn't say, even from the pulpit, today notwithstanding. We learn those things, all right? Because he does that. So God, I ask that you would use us not to bring judgment, but to bring justice. I ask that, God, we won't be those that scream at everything that upsets us on Facebook and blows up everybody's feeds with words of judgment. God, I thank you that when you judged the earth in the time of Noah, I thank you that you gave a rainbow and you used that rainbow to say you'd never flood this planet with judgment. You wouldn't do that. And I thank you the rainbow is such a part of the culture that's around us. And I thank you, God, every time I see it, it reminds me that you're a God of mercy. You're a God of grace. You're a God that withholds judgment that you might give justice and freedom and hope. And I ask that you'll help me to be that kind of person. I ask that you'll help us to be those kinds of people. May we not redefine what health is to satisfy a culture that doesn't understand it. May we walk in the fullness of your spirit and be the ambassadors of health and freedom to everyone we come in contact with. 